expect from episode 3 of the GPHS podcast season 2. Episode 3 explores the effects of COVID-19 and the CDC's framework for the Conditional Sailing Order, CSO, on cruising and the cruise industry. Our hosts, George Vaughn and Ben Hershenfang, give us an understanding of the four phases of the CDC's framework, the challenges in implementation now that sailing has restarted, and the impact on operations that come from COVID-19 variants and having vaccinated and unvaccinated passengers on board. They also share with us the importance of local port agreements required by the CDC and the lessons learned so far for the cruise industry. George and Ben deliver insight and nuance industry-specific guidance on the CDC's framework and the challenges with the virus that continues to change. Their shared expertise on this important cruise line public health leadership topic will benefit all who have questions on the CDC's framework and COVID-19 safeguards for safe cruising. Happy listening. Hi, I'm Ben Hershenfang. I'm a consultant with Global Public Health Services and former aerospace engineer, program director. And today I'm talking with uh, George Vaughn. George, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, uh, good morning. My name is George Vaughn and uh, my background is public health, uh, in particular, disease control and epidemiology. I'm a retired public health officer from the Commission Corps US Public Health Service. So we have an epidemiologist talking with a engineer. This should be interesting. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about the impact of COVID-19 on the cruise industry. So I have a few questions for you, George. If, if you can answer this, I really would appreciate it. Sure. First one is, can you discuss the origins and evolutions of the CDC's framework for conditional sailing for return to sailing for the cruise line industries? Uh, sure. Uh, the CDC Framework for Conditional Sailing Order, or CSO, sometimes called a framework as well, um, was implemented following the no sail orders that went into effect on 14 March of 2020, which also had three subsequent extensions and modifications. The no sail orders actually expired on 30 October of the same year, and the CSO became effect, it went into effect on the same day. Uh, the purpose of the framework, or CSO, is to assist the cruise industry uh, in its safe return to uh, cruise operations within the United States. The CSO uses a four-phased approach, which includes a, a series of activities uh, with the idea of, of bringing safe operations uh, to cruise ships within the United States. The first phase, or phase one, um, involves mass testing, and usually that's through nucleic acid amplification tests or antigen testing, um, along with the laboratory capacity building, including onboard uh, testing capabilities on cruise ships. Phase two involves voyage preparation, including screening, testing, a 14-day quarantine requirement for a newly embarking crew, uh, the development of port medical and housing agreements that are approved by the port and local health authorities. Phase 2B uh, has specific requirements for a simulated or trial voyage, including approvals uh, uh, to conduct those simulated voyages and requirements for after action reporting. Phase 3 of the CSO involves 
procedures for the issuance of conditional sailing certificates, which indicates cruise ships have met CDC's public health standards. And finally, phase four outlines restricted passenger voyages, which include resumption of uh, passenger operations um, with shortened voyage lengths, as well as testing requirements. The guidelines for compliance at each phase of the uh, CSO is provided through a series of technical instructions and supporting documents, uh, which were published at different intervals based on the evolving science uh, under the pandemic conditions. The CSO remains in effect until uh, the 1st of November of this year, or if it's rescinded by the CSO director. And what's the current status of the um, framework and what are some of the challenges for implementation of the framework? Well, uh, to my knowledge, uh, all aspects of the framework have been outlined in technical instructions by the CDC. Uh, they're pretty detailed and uh, I'm sure there's going to be some challenges in the implementation of the framework. Some of the ones that I think that may be challenging uh, include the enforcement of passengers' compliance with the mask mandate, which is required on cruise ships, uh, as well as other conveyances, and, and as well as in transportation hubs, including cruise terminals. Similarly, I think the enforcement of physical distancing requirements that are also under the CSO uh, in some areas, public areas, specifically of the cruise ships, such as buffets, a pool deck comes to mind, and indoor entertainment areas of the ships, such as theaters and clubs, uh, could tend to be a, a challenge for enforcing those particular so, uh, social and physical distancing requirements. I think in addition in the crew spaces, crew areas, uh, since they tend to be small and constitute congregate living and social spaces, that social distancing or physical distancing requirements could be a challenge there as well. I think managing uh, the inevitable SARS-CoV-2 outbreaks and the initial contact tracing efforts that are also required under the framework may present some challenges for the cruise ship operators as well. And then I, finally, I think that consistently maintaining the recommended vaccination levels when they are ultimately uh, published and other public health interventions to prevent outbreaks could be of a challenge. Um, this will be particularly challenging in my opinion uh, with the proliferation of the SARS-CoV-2 variants that may impact vaccine efficacy. How do the variants play into any possible impacts to the um, framework and operations of the cruise lines? Well, I, you know, I think that um, the variants will have a significant impact on, or potentially have a significant impact on vaccine efficacy. Now, you know, we have several uh, very good uh, vaccines that are available and the cruise industry was was pretty excited about the fact that the vaccines were available. Now, in terms of the CSO requirements, uh, recall that um, if a cruise ship operator can attest to 95% vaccination status within both the passengers and the crew, they can forego uh, certain phases of the um, framework and proceed to the final phase, phase four, which is where they uh, conduct more robust 
uh, sailing, uh, although albeit it's, it's somewhat reduced in terms of normal sailing activities. However, um, the variance can really impact the efficacy of, of the vaccines, or at least has the potential to do so. And in that case, uh, my concern would be uh, if it reduces the efficacy of the vaccines to a certain level, then that puts the cruise ship at risk of outbreaks potentially. So um, I, I think it's an important aspect uh, to follow and to consider, and um, you know, particularly with the, the potential for breakthrough infections and so forth for those that are vaccinated with the current um, uh, vaccines. So um, it may require in the future also that a booster uh, be administered. So operationally, that would require the cruise uh, line operators uh, to um, provide boosters to their crew. And so operationally, that could impact them. And especially since um, they'd have to consider their ports of call and what that country's uh, requirements are for acceptable vaccines. That's true. Exactly. Well, that leads me to the next question is, how do vaccinated versus unvaccinated passengers play into the framework? The latest uh, CDC recommendations, as I understand it, under phase 2B of the framework, is that if a cruise ship operator can attest to 95% vaccination uh, rates within both the passenger and the crew populations, then the cruise ship operator can actually forego the simulated voyages uh, under uh, phase 2B and proceed directly to the restricted passenger voyages under phase four. That would be uh, to the cruise ship operator's advantage. Obviously, there are less uh, hurdles that they have to you know, uh, bypass in order to get back to full operations uh, under the CSO framework. Uh, there may be challenges in reaching and maintaining that 95% vaccination standard in the crew, I think, particularly if uh, the expectation is that the uh, the cruise ship operators is to vaccinate cruise cruise uh, members uh, in their countries of origins, since vaccines are not as plentiful outside of large countries. Also, information on vaccination status. You know, for example, the governor of Florida has a lawsuit pending against the CDC regarding requesting that information on vaccination status, the so-called uh, vaccine passport issue. This could hamper the cruise line's ability to properly identify those who are fully vaccinated. Um, there's also a recent development where some cruise ship operators are not accepting mixed vaccinations with AstraZeneca vaccine with the mRNA vaccines. This is a practice that, uh, while not uh, something that's done in the United States, has been done in other countries uh, and is an accepted standard, such as in Canada, however, uh, is not accepted here in the United States. So that may present some problems in reaching that level. Uh, also, uh, these issues I think could potentially impact the cruise uh, ship operator's ability to comply with the CSO framework. So George, once you have both vaccinated and unvaccinated passengers on board, what are the challenges operationally for the cruise lines and handling that mix of passengers? Well, I think that uh, the cruise lines have implemented certain operational strategies that allow fully vaccinated uh, passengers 
and, and I suppose crew, uh, to participate in the full spectrum of uh, shipboard activities, as well as shore-based activities as allowed by the specific uh, countries in uh, where the ports, uh, where they make port calls, uh, when compared to the unvaccinated uh, persons. Separating out, I think, the activities aboard the cruise ships by vaccination status uh, can be challenging. Although I, I understand that the cruise lines uh, have implemented uh, strategies to properly identify vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh, persons and which groups are allowed to participate in those uh, certain shipboard activities. Additionally, I think that the um, unvaccinated persons will, require, will be required uh, to show negative COVID-19 tests and may be subjected to more frequent testing uh, and shipboard and shoreside restrictions. That would mean that the cruise ship operators would have to conduct more testing in the unvaccinated populations. Um, I have also read that uh, some of the cruise lines will require that unvaccinated passengers carry a certain amount of travel insurance to cover medical emergencies. Recall that that was an important uh, aspect of the outbreaks that uh, occurred on cruise ships um, at the beginning of the pandemic where um, medical treatment was difficult to obtain. Uh, operationally, I think for non-compliance of any of the health and safety protocols um, are, are going to be uh, needed to be strictly enforced. It uh, remains to be seen, however, uh, whether the cruise ship staff will be able to take the necessary actions uh, when cruise ship operation are fully operational, in my opinion. I've also heard, George, that um, passengers will be charged, I think, up to $150 uh, for the test um, pre-boarding. So um, that is another operational um, item that I've read. Yeah, I, I've read the, I've heard the same thing, uh, Ben. Yes. So what can be done to educate passengers both before and while they're on board and proper precautions to avoid um, transmission of the um, virus? Well, I, th I think that uh, there, there are some things that the cruise ship operators can do to educate passengers before they arrive to the ships, as well as when they're on board the ships. And we've learned a lot through uh, other pathogens of concern on cruise ships like norovirus. So I think they, they have uh, some history with uh, uh, understanding how to properly educate passengers uh, and their crew members on the risk of uh, transmissible communicable diseases. Um, I think under the CSO, there's requirements uh, while they're on board the ship uh, to educate passengers and crew on the proper wear of, of face masks. Um, also, there's a requirement uh, to educate uh, the shipboard population on the physical distancing uh, requirements, uh, as well as other um, public health protocols. Uh, there's also a requirement to post signs and messages in highly visible locations uh, to reinforce the public health expectations and, and traditionally, the uh, cruise ship operators have conducted public service of announcements during the daily briefings of both passengers and crew by shipboard management uh, to ensure the public health messaging is clear 
and concise and and is consistent. So so that's also published in their uh, daily newsletters. Also, uh, obviously, proper hand hygiene practices is is vital to the control of of any communicable disease on board uh, the shipboard uh, environment. And uh, educating passengers and crew in the proper reporting of symptoms of uh, any communicable disease, but uh, of course of, of uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection uh, to cruise ship medical staff is something that needs to be reiterated consistently uh, during the course of the voyage. Now, before a person embarks on a cruise, I think it's important for the cruise industry to educate them through the different means of contact in preparation for boarding the ship of what the expectations are in terms of uh, public health prevention strategies. So we know we have criteria um, for things like norovirus for reporting cases, um, thresholds. Are there any thresholds established for reporting COVID cases during a cruise? Sure, um, there's, there's requirements obviously to report any of the symptoms that are consistent with um, SARS-CoV-2 infections or uh, COVID-like illness as well. Uh, that's outlined in the uh, framework also. Uh, typically when something is considered to be an outbreak, uh, usually that's two or more laboratory confirmed cases. In this case, uh, shoreside, that is specifically what the definition is of an outbreak, that is two or more laboratory confirmed COVID-19 cases uh, linked and uh, with linkages uh, to establish that, uh, out, excuse me, with linkages outside of the case investigations and contact tracing. Uh, and during that contact tracing, the identification of two or more contacts uh, with active COVID-19 infection. So contact tracing is important to that case definition and outbreak definition as well. Um, also, uh, under the CSO for simulated voyages, the CDC has established a threshold for termination of the voyage. This is an operational consideration. And the CDC advises that a voyage be terminated immediately if 1.5% of COVID-19 cases are detected in passengers or 1% is detected in crew. And the CDC advises that these thresholds are also uh, subject to modifications based on the lessons learned. Of course, this is an ongoing pandemic. So as new science comes out, this is subject to modification, but currently, that's what CDC is using as a threshold for termination of a voyage. Um, they're subject to, obviously they'll be subject to an investigation and that would be based on CDC's recommendations and requirements. And that leads me to ask um, about isolation and quarantine. Can you define the difference between the two terms? Sure. Um, quarantine, is the separation of people who are exposed. They aren't showing symptoms at this point, but they're exposed to say a COVID-19 case um, and quarantine is designed to separate those individuals from the general population so that they could 
be evaluated to determine if they develop symptoms of the disease. Quarantine is not often used as a disease control strategy and is actually reserved for a list of diseases that are determined to be quarantinable. Now, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 is listed as a quarantinable uh, disease and, and is actually published in uh, a series of ex executive orders. Um, isolation, on the other hand, is reserved for confirmed or probable cases of a communicable disease. In our case, of course, that's uh, COVID-19. Uh, isolation includes measures that it would be taken by the uh, cruise ship operators uh, to ensure that the separation has occurred between passengers and crews who are infected and are displaying signs and symptoms of the disease, including if they have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. So that's the difference between essentially a quarantine and isolation. Thank you. Um, what do you see as the criteria of safe to sail with respect to vaccinated passenger percentage on board and herd immunity? You, you know, I don't think that there's going to be a difference between the vaccination level percentage-wise uh, shoreside versus the, the uh, shipboard environment. I think CDC has already stated that they believe um, that the vaccination level should be 95% in passengers and crew, uh, considering that those levels to be a safe to sail uh, standard. Um, and I think what they've done is they've taken into consideration the unique nature of the environment aboard cruise ship and cruise ship travel. However, I do think that given the close quarters and you know of the shipboard environment, that other public health actions are needed to ensure the safety of the traveling public and the um, sh uh, shipboard personnel. Um, this includes like the actively promoting high hygienic standards and environmental sanitation procedures, the physical distancing, uh, the mask wearing that we've already discussed, the health screening of passengers and crew uh, of boarding and, and, and the uh, isolation or quarantine as needed. Have you heard about any evidence of increased exposure due to um, shore excursions, which is typical for most cruises? No, not to my knowledge. Um, the literature that I've read doesn't show a causal link demonstrating increased risk of uh, infection associated with shore excursions. Um, one of the studies uh, that I did review uh, didn't demonstrate an association between the numbers of people visiting a specific port of call and increased risk of COVID-19 to that receiving uh, country or the port community. So um, as it stands now, I have not seen um, any literature that really says that uh, there's an increased exposure due to uh, shore excursions. However, you know, there are many, many different types of shore excursions. So I think, uh, you know, that's relative to, you know, what, what are the activities on those shore excursions? I think CDC take is, takes an approach that um, to be a cautious approach, actually, uh, to the um, close environment on shore excursions as a precautionary measure um, 
for disease prevention. You mean like on a bus? Yeah, exactly. Transportation okay. uh, during shore excursions. And, and in some cases, depending upon what the shore excursion entails, there could be other activities that puts an individual at increased risk for a specific type of activity. But there, there are way too many to try to discuss that at this point. But And on board, what are the most significant routes of transmission of COVID? Well, I mean, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 is uh, you know, respiratory virus is transmitted through direct contact uh, and through respiratory transmission. Um, most transmission is thought to occur at a distance of less than six feet or two meters, which is why we have the specific physical distancing requirements and so forth. Although there is some mounting evidence to suggest that airborne transmission is possible and in some cases likely. Uh, the cruise industry has taken steps to uh, modify ventilation systems uh, on a number of their ships to minimize the possibility of airborne transmission of SARS-CoV-2 virus causes uh, COVID-19. Um, specifics include things like enhanced filtration and uh, updating the cleaning and disinfection protocols, just to name a few. And I've also seen where uh, UV lights are added to some of those uh, ventilation systems. Sure. To also kill the um, virus. Sure. Um, we read in the um, framework about um, the necess necessity of port agreements for the cruise lines to have. Can you describe what these port agreements entail? Sure. Um, there are a number of port agreements that are required under the uh, CSO framework. Um, and the idea behind those is, is, of course, not only to protect the people that are on board the ships, but also to protect uh, the people who support um, the ship as well. And um, so there are specific uh, requirements in terms of uh, cleaning and disinfection protocols. There's a development of contractual agreements for uh, medical evacu evacuation and medical care at various U.S. ports. And, and that's a result of some of the problems that were identified when outbreaks occurred early in the pandemic on cruise ships. And, and getting access to uh, medical care ashore was, was quite difficult, including evacuations from the ship, if you recall. Also, this requirement for developing um, housing contractual agreements to accommodate that isolation and quarantine needs that might occur uh, should there be an outbreak on board a cruise ship. Um, these, uh, the requirements are all in response to the SARS-CoV-2 outbreaks aboard cruise ships and the strain that it placed on the, the US port community. So there's an attempt to reduce the impact of um, it, you know, an outbreak on the uh, receiving community, the supporting medical staff, uh, and so on. So th that's what, <clears throat> excuse me, that's why the port agreements are required. Okay, and um, as far as lessons learned goes, do you think the cruise lines are postured for the next pandemic? You know, given the experience that you know, we've had with this pandemic, I, I think there are a number of lessons learned that put them in a new position um, to prevent um, at least the severity of the next 
pandemic by some of the measures that we've described so far. I mean, the physical changes on the cruise ships in terms of the ventilation systems, of course, would help with the uh, amelioration of, uh, you know, respiratory outbreaks, not only from SARS-CoV-2, but any other respiratory diseases such as influenza, uh, that, that pandemic influenza, influenza that might occur in the future. Um, also, I think some of the strategies and protocols for managing large numbers of people um, in the cruise ship environment. There have been plenty of lessons learned there uh, that are instrumental in minimizing transmission of not only respiratory diseases, but gastrointestinal diseases and so on. And I'd be interested in knowing actually when the cruise ships actually do uh, return to full operations, what the disease experiences you know, would be before and after the implementation of these uh, public health measures. Um, I think we'll, we'll see reductions in, in not just respiratory diseases, but some other communicable diseases as well. Now, once the pandemic threat is, is realized, what's going to be important is that uh, there's strong leadership um, at all levels within the cruise industry um, to you know, have proper public health procedures and protocols in place and to enforce those, particularly in the face of uh, pushback, which will inevitably occur. I mean, we're seeing that now uh, under the current pandemic. Um, one difficulty I see is, as with all um, outbreaks, is uh, the human behavioral aspects of disease control. So strong public health messaging that is clear and concise will be required, I in my opinion. Um, but they should, re be, should realize that they will not only be able to convince, they will not be able to convince everyone uh, of the need for the operational changes. And so they just need to be aware of that. Uh, my last thought is that the cruise industry should not focus attention on a single communicable disease, um, but by using risk assessment techniques uh, develop strategies to address any communicable disease, past, present, or future. And I think the lessons learned from this pandemic, you know, brings that to light. So I think I think they are in a better position uh, for future uh, pandemics. Yes. Well, George, you've gone through great detail on the origins of the uh, framework for sailing and all the factors that are involved for both passengers and the cruise line um, industry itself um, operationally. I'm sure there'll be quite a bit of training that the cruise lines will require to implement all these changes. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the um, discussion? Well, you know, I, I think that the cruise industry uh, should be commended for their efforts in uh, improving the public health standards on board the ship. Um, I, I think they, they all, always are in a position to do that and are always striving to do that because it's, it's mutually beneficial. Uh, of course, it's beneficial to their business as well. Um, but I, I do think that they've done a, a, a really good job in um, identifying the risks and, and putting in the necessary uh, steps and interventions uh, to reduce the risk of communicable diseases and to improve public health on board the ships. Well, George, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, help us understand all this today. And uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
have been listening to GPHS Podcast Season 2. Thanks to our special guests and to you for tuning in. You can follow us on Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. Join us next month for our next episode as we explore different aspects of cruise line public health and maintaining a healthful and safe cruise ship environment. You can also find us at gphsconsulting.com or send us an email at info at gphsconsulting.com. GPHS Podcasting Supervising Producer is Catherine Arthur Hershenfang. Our team also includes Nikisha Mall and Paul Wilson. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who doesn't know about our show. We want more people to find our show and we appreciate you as a listener to our podcast. I am Maria Florio. Thank you for tuning in to the GPHS Podcast. Podcast.